All right, well, good evening. Good evening. How's everyone? Good. <laughs> uh, well, get your Bibles out with me. We're going to be flipping around a lot again uh, tonight as we've done the last couple of weeks. Um, so we've been talking, as you know, about this question um, about eternal security, once saved, always saved. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at just kind of an introduction to this kind of study about why should we should even uh, be taking on some kind of serious uh, questions as a as a church. We're not um, we're not Bible college students. We're not seminary students. Why why think about these things as a church? And then last week we uh, just looked at the question: Can can someone lose their salvation? Someone who is saved uh, can they go from being saved to being no longer saved? Um, and the conclusion we came to last week was uh, that that no, that if God saves someone then that person will remain saved um, throughout the, the rest of their lives and, and throughout eternity. And we said that was true because of, the, uh, because of the nature of salvation, because of the author of salvation, because God's the one that saves, and so God's the one that keeps us saved. Uh, the nature of salvation, because salvation is not just us moving from, uh, from one group of people that are not saved into another group of people that are saved, and then at some point in the future we could move back. Uh, but the nature of salvation itself is that we are we're changed. We are a new uh, creation. The Bible says the old has passed away, the new has come. Um, we go from being dead in our sins to being alive in Christ. Uh, we go, uh, part of salvation is being sealed with the Holy Spirit as a, as a promise of, of the future. And so for all those reasons we said, um, or I said, that, we, that if someone is truly saved, if, someone, if, if God saves someone, then they will remain saved for the rem remainder of their lives and, um, and into eternity. So tonight we're going to ask uh, another question. Uh, what about those that seem to have fallen away? Uh, we all know uh, people that we could put in that category. Um, so what do we do about people that seem to have fallen away? So if, if, if I said the Bible says that we, um, that we can't lose our salvation, that once someone's saved, they're going to remain saved forever, then we have to deal with, with two things, um, at least two things, maybe more, but I've, I've put two things on your sheet here, kind of under the um, introduction. First of, our, first of all, our experiences have to be explained, and then second of all, there are certain uh, specific scriptures that, that must be explained. Our experiences must be explained, and specific scriptures must be explained. So, like I said, we all know people that seem to have fallen away. We might have people um, in our families that have fallen away. Uh, maybe there are people in our families who at, at one point, many years ago, um, seemed like they were believing in Jesus, following Jesus, uh, serving his church, and, and now their lives look, look very different from that. Um, we have people in, in, in our families, people that are friends of ours. Um, we, can, we can all think of, surely we can all think of church members, we can look around and even think of people that three, four, five, ten years ago would have been here with us on a, on a Sunday night or would have been here with us on a Sunday morning this morning and, and we look around and they're not here right now, right? We can think of people even in the last year who, um, who started out the year strong and were following the Lord and, and, and following with us and serving with us here um, in, in the last several months. They haven't, haven't been around. And so what do we do? How do we, how do we explain that? We all have people that, that we know. We also all, all, or many of us, are aware of kind of public figures who have fallen away. And here, especially in the last few weeks, there have been some, 
some, uh, some names that have come up of people that are kind of advertising and almost even uh, flaunting the fact that they're no longer believing in Jesus. Uh, some of you may know the name Joshua Harris. Um, he wrote a book in the early 90s called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, um, and he was talking about um, how, to, how to date in a, in a uh, more biblical way. Um, it's what he was trying to, trying to, to um, explain in that book. And since then, he's become a pastor. He's been pastoring a church in, uh, in Maryland, I think. Um, and just recently, just within the last three or four weeks, he has, um, has written a, a, a blog post and published it uh, publicly for everyone to read, saying that I'm no longer believing, I'm divorcing my wife. Um, and not only are we getting divorced, but we're also no longer believing the things that we used to believe and we used to preach. He denounced his book that, he, that he's written. He's denounced other books that he's written. He's denounced all the, uh, the sermons that, that he's preached, and he's saying that he was wrong the whole time that he was preaching those things. So do, how do we explain that? If the Bible says someone who's saved, um, and, and this is a pastor even, how do we explain this person falling away, right? Um, there's another group that you all may, may be familiar with um, called Hillsong United. It's a group that, that does uh, music, church music, um, very popular right now. There is actually a church from Australia, um, and they have other sites around the world, but they're best known for their music. Um, and one of the guys, I didn't recognize his name, but one of the guys who writes a lot of his, a lot of their music and um, leads music at, at one of their churches um, has done the same thing just in the last two or three weeks, has, um, has said that they're no longer believing in Jesus, they no longer believe the words that they wrote and, um, and, and sang and led others to sing. And they no longer believe those truths, and they're uh, turning their their backs on um, on what they once believed, right? And we could we could think of many other people um, that are that, that have done the same kind of thing. And so, how do we explain that? If the Bible seems to say that if you're saved, you can't stop being saved. If God saves someone, He's going to keep saving them for eternity. What do we do with people who look like they've stopped believing, who look like they're not saved anymore? Um, and then secondly, we have to look at specific scriptures, must be explained. And there are Bible passages that seem to suggest that, uh, that people can lose their salvation, that believers can lose their salvation. Um, and so if we're going to say the Bible as a whole says that if God saves someone, they're going to be saved for eternity, we have to explain these passages, these specific Bible passages that taken on their own by themselves seem to say that, that someone can fall away, Okay. We don't, have time, we don't have time on a, on a uh, you know, 30 minutes on a Sunday night necessarily to look at every passage that comes up in, in Scripture like this, but I've put on your sheet here Hebrews chapter 6. This is perhaps the um, hardest, I guess, from, from the perspective of someone who says you can't lose your salvation. It's maybe the strongest, I guess, on the, on the side of someone who says that you can lose your salvation. And so let's look at this passage for a few minutes uh, for a few minutes tonight. In Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 4, the writer says this, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. It's impossible to Restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God in their own harm, to their own harm, and holding him up to contempt. 
for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Well, if you just look at that passage, it seems like the author of Hebrews is talking about someone who was saved and now is no longer saved. And he's saying that if, if, if you're in that situation, if you're someone who was saved and you're no longer saved, there's no more hope for you. You can't restore that person back to, back to repentance. Look at what it says about him in verse, go back to verse four. So it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, they've tasted the heavenly gift, they've shared in the Holy Spirit, they've tasted the goodness of the word, um, then they've fallen away. Well, those four phrases seem to, seem to indicate someone that's a believer, right? They've been enlightened, that sounds like a believer. They've tasted the heavenly gift, that sounds like a believer. They've shared in the Holy Spirit, that sounds like a believer. And, uh, and they've tasted the goodness of the word. All those sound like uh, definitions or characteristics of people who have believed in Jesus. I said last week that someone who, uh, who is saved is not just someone moving from one group to another group, but it's someone who's being transformed. Their life is being changed. And that seems to be the case here in Hebrews 6. This person has been enlightened. They've tasted the word. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. Um, and the fourth one there that I'm, that I'm forgetting, but it seems like someone that's a, that's a believer, right? So how do, we, how do we explain this? If we think that the Bible says that we can't lose our salvation, how do we explain this, this specific passage? Um, well, I'll say, first of all, this is a really, really hard passage, and there's um, different ways of understanding it. And, and I'll be upfront with you, even within our church leadership, probably even among me and Josh and Jake, there, we probably have different understandings of, of, of how, to, how to understand this passage, how to, how to explain this passage. Okay? But some people say that this is not talking about real people, this is just kind of a hypothetical. That if you were in this situation, then there would be no way to restore you, but there's not really any person in this situation, right? It's a way of talking about how serious sin is. It's a way of talking about how serious turning your back on the Lord would be. Um, if this were the case, there would be no way to restore that person, but there's not really any person in that, in that category, okay? Another way of, of understanding it is that, uh, that this is a means of perseverance, right? So one of the ways that God uses, one of the, one of the things that God uses to keep us faithful is warnings like this, warnings like this. So theoretically, it would be possible for a believer to fall away in this, in this case, in, in this way. It would, be, it would be possible for a believer to fall away, and, and yet God's using this warning as a way of keeping them from falling away, right? So if someone doesn't abide by this warning, they could actually fall away. However, the Lord is gonna keep them by this warning. They're going to follow this one. They're going to read this passage. The Holy Spirit's going to work in their heart. The Holy Spirit's going to work through his word, and he's going to keep them from falling away through this, through this passage. Okay? It, it's almost like if there's, a, if there's a bridge that's out ahead, and it's theoretically possible for someone to drive off the bridge, but if there are warning signs before you get there, those warning signs are going to stop the person, so there's not going to actually be anybody that, that actually does drive off the bridge. Right? Because the warning, the warning signs are going to stop them from, from doing so. The same way, theoretically, it would be possible for someone to turn and, and stop believing, and yet God's using this warning sign, this warning passage, and, and others like it to prevent them from, from falling away. Um, 
So those are, those are two ways of understanding it. There's a, there's a third way of understanding it, and, and this is, this is the, the way that I take. So he says here, he, he, doesn't, he, he never says that this person is saved, right? He says they've tasted the word that sounds like, or it says that he's been enlightened, sounds like he's, he's saved, says that he's tasted the heavenly gift, sounds like they're saved, says that uh, he or she has shared in the Holy Spirit, again, sounds like salvation, they've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, Again, that, that all sounds like salvation, and yet it may not necessarily be so. He may not be talking here about someone who's, who, who is saved. In fact, I think he's not talking about someone who's saved. And the reason I think that is because if you look down at verse 9, the very next verse in verse 9, he says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. And so in some cases, people have tasted uh, they've been enlightened, they've tasted the heavenly gift, they've shared in the Holy Spirit, they've tasted the goodness of the word, and yet in your case, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. And so whatever those four things mean, it, it, it's, it, it doesn't mean that they've been saved. We're sure of better things in your case, things that do belong to salvation. These are four things that don't necessarily belong to salvation. So how is it that somebody could uh, be enlightened and taste the heavenly gift and share in the Holy Spirit and taste of the goodness of the word and, and yet not be saved? How could, how could that be true? Well, I think it could be that the author of Hebrews is talking here about someone who is part of the church, part of the body of believers, and yet has never been truly, fully converted by the Holy Spirit. And so he has been enlightened, or she has been enlightened in, in some cases. They've, they, they're, they attend church. They hear the preaching on Sunday mornings. They attend different, different uh, maybe Sunday school classes or Sunday night service or prayer, prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. And, and so they've heard the truth, and, and maybe even intellectually they, they agree that, yeah, that, that is the truth, and, but yet they haven't been fully converted. They haven't bought into it. They're not, they, they, they know that it's true, but they're not staking their lives on it. They're not believing in it, trusting in it for salvation. They've uh, tasted the heavenly gift. Well, we could talk about what the heavenly gift is, but whatever the heavenly gift is, um, again, they could have tasted. They, they, they could taste it as they're gathered with believers on a on a Sunday morning or Sunday night or, or Wednesday night. If the heavenly gift is 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 love from God and love for one another and and, and the community and, and family that God creates through salvation, then even though they're not partaking of salvation themselves, they could still be part of that family, part of that um, heavenly gift by uh, by being united to the local church to other believers, even though they're not believing themselves. Um, it says also that they've tasted the goodness of the word. And, and, and maybe so. If they're here hearing sermons on Sunday morning, if they're uh, listening to the word being taught, maybe they're even reading the Bible on their own um, and, and, and they can see the goodness of it. They can, um, maybe it brings them comfort at, at, at specific times in their lives. Maybe someone in their, in their life has passed away and the, and the Bible was comforting to them at that moment, things like that. Um, and, and yet they're still not believing it, trusting it for salvation themselves. Um, and then um, shared in the Holy Spirit, again, um, that wouldn't necessarily have to mean that they have had the gift of the Holy Spirit um, on them themselves, but it could be that they've shared in the Holy Spirit as other people around them in the church have been blessed by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So there, there's some different ways of understanding this Hebrews 6 passage, but whatever, whatever, and you may not be satisfied with what I said those four, um, those four things might mean, but regardless of what they mean, whatever, what, however uh, the author of Hebrews is using them, 
in verse 9, in, in, in my understanding in verse 9, he clearly says that whatever those four things are, they're not things that belong to salvation necessarily. Because in your case, we feel sure of better things, things that do belong to salvation. And so these four things in the lives of these people don't belong to salvation, but in your life, in, in your lives, we feel sure of better things, things that, that do belong to salvation. Okay? Again, that's how, that's how I understand this passage, and, and my guess is I think Josh and Jake maybe would disagree with that. I'm not sure. Um, I think they might fit more into the category that God uses these passages as warnings to keep his people from falling away. Um, but, but regardless, th- there are ways of dealing with these kind of passages. There are other passages in the Bible that, that seem, to, seem to talk about this as well, um, and, and, and there are ways of dealing with that. I think if you take the whole Bible um, and, and look at the whole thing from... Uh, how, how all of the pieces fit together, I think it becomes clear that the Bible teaches that once you're saved, once God has saved you, he's going to keep on saving you. Okay? So we have these experiences that have to be explained. We have these passages of Scripture that have to be explained. I've, uh, I've tried to in, in the few minutes that we have to explain that in Hebrews 6. But so, so if, if, if these people that, that we talk about having fallen away, because there are people in our lives, there are people in our church who were here at one time, looked like they were following Jesus, and now they're not here and they're not following Jesus, what's really going on with those people, right? What's really going on with those people? Well, well one of two things are going on. One of two things are going on. First of all, um, it, it could be that these people never were true believers. It could be that these people never were true believers, Okay, and, and Josh read this passage at the beginning of the service, but uh, listen with me, or if you want to, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 19. John's talking here about this very, very situation. There's a, a church that he's the leader of, that he's writing to here, and he's, uh, asking, he's, they're asking this question. He's trying to answer this very question. What do we do with the people that used to be with us, following with us, and now they're not following with us. How do we, how do we explain that? And so he says, we'll, we'll start in verse 18. He says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. When we talked about Antichrist there, we kind of get caught up in the, in the revelation, the end times kind of thing. But when John talks about Antichrist, he just means people that are against Christ, people that are, that are anti-Christ. So this could be false teachers. This could be um, false leaders in the church. There, there are many who have turned and are anti-Christ. Many of them have come. He says, therefore, we know that it is the last hour. In verse 9, he says, they went out from us. So there were people that were part of the church that went out from us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And so John says, we have a church here, and there might be a thousand people in this church, right? But that doesn't mean that necessarily there are a thousand people who are, who are truly converted, um, following Christ, transformed, taken from a dead in their sins and, and made alive in their sins. Not all thousand of those people are truly believing, right? He says some left, and the reason they left is because they weren't really part of us to begin with. They weren't truly transformed to begin with, Okay. And so it's possible that these people were never, never true believers. And we're, I'm thinking about people right now in my mind, I hope you are, people from our church even that, that I'm thinking of. Um, and, and it's a hard thing to, to say, it's a hard thing to, to think, but the Bible seems to say that, that in some cases, these people who were with us at one point and are no longer here 
um, in some cases, those people were not ever true believers. Okay? Another place where we see this, look at Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. This is a scary passage that, that some of you are probably familiar with. Matthew chapter 7, this is Jesus speaking. Verse 21 and 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So Jesus says there are people who identify themselves as his people. There are people who identify themselves as followers of Jesus who may not necessarily be followers of Jesus, right? And they may, some of them may be doing that on, on purpose. Some of them may be doing it not on purpose. Some people may think that they're really following Jesus, and Jesus says that they're not. Some people may think that they're following Jesus because they're doing such good work in the community. They may think that they're following Jesus because they're doing so much service among the church, they never miss a Sunday, right? They're always here. Whenever the doors are open, they're always here serving, cooking, cleaning, uh, whatever. They're, they're the first ones here to unlock the doors or the last ones here to turn the lights out whenever there's anything going on in there, and they're serving the church. And yet Jesus says, in some cases, he's going to say to them, I never knew you. You might have been doing lots of things in my name, but there wasn't a true relationship going on there. There wasn't a true conversion going on there. And so Jesus says there are people in, in, in churches who look like they're following him, who maybe, maybe, um, maybe to us it would seem like they're, they're, they're true believers, and, and yet Jesus says that in some cases they're, they, they're not all are. And then the final passage, James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if you, someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving him the things needed for the body that God, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You know, this is a, as, as many of you know, this is a controversial passage and we could spend a lot of time talking about this, about faith and words and how those two things fit together, but I, I, I don't want to do that tonight. That would take us off track. My point here in reading that passage is James says that it's possible to have a dead faith that doesn't save. It's possible to have a dead faith that doesn't save. It's possible to have a false faith. It's possible for someone to look like they're following Jesus, to sound like they're following Jesus, um, to live in some ways like they're following Jesus, and yet, and yet that, that's dead works. It's dead faith that, that doesn't, actually, doesn't actually save them. Okay? So when we ask what's going on, is the Bible says that if, you, if, if God saves you, he's going to continue saving you and keep you saved throughout eternity, how do we understand people that, that, that fall away, people that look like they were following him and now they're not following him? Well, in some cases, it may be that those people were not true believers to begin with. The Bible says that that's possible. There's some people that can look like they're believers, act like they're believers, we think they're believers, and, and yet the Bible says that they weren't believers the whole time. They weren't true believers, okay? Secondly, though, some people maybe weren't true believers. On the back of your sheet, though, secondly, 
there may be some that still are true believers. So how do we understand people that have fallen away, that look like they've fallen away? Well, some of them maybe never were true believers. Some of them maybe still are true believers. There could be people that were here a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, they're not here now. It looks to us like they're not truly, like they're not believing, like they've fallen away from Jesus. And, and yet the Bible says that in some cases, those people never were true believers, but there are also some cases where those people may still be believers even, even right now, okay? So let's look at a few examples of, of, of that. Look, look with me at Luke, Luke chapter 22. This is kind of a, a famous passage, Luke chapter 22. We're going to start reading in verse 31. This is Jesus talking to Peter, okay? And he calls him Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times, until you deny three times that you know me, okay? So he's not even, not even just denying that, he, that he's a follower of Jesus, right? But not denying that he even knows Jesus. This is, what, this is what Jesus is predicting. Skip over to the same chapter, chapter 22, skip over to verse 54. Then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. So they've taken Jesus off. They've arrested him, right? They've taken him off. They're getting ready to question him. Then they're going to uh, beat him and, and, and crucify him. But at this point, they've just taken him off. And Peter's, he's not following too close, but it says he's following at a distance. And when they get there with the fire, he sits down among them. Verse 56. Then a servant girl, seeing Peter... As he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. This man, Peter, was also with Jesus. Verse 57, but Peter denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. Peter says he doesn't even know Jesus. Verse 58, a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly, this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. It looks like in that passage, it looks like Peter is denying Jesus. Peter is denying Jesus, right? It looks like Peter is no longer believing in Jesus. It looks like Peter is no longer trusting in Jesus. If, any, if we could have a picture of anybody in, in the midst of them falling away, this looks like it would be it. Peter not only, not only denied that he's not a follower of Jesus, but denied that he even knew Jesus three different times, right? And, and yet we know from reading the rest of the New Testament, reading the, even the, the later passages, the passage in the Gospel of John, it's not in, Luke doesn't include it in, in his Gospel, but in, in John's Gospel, there's a passage after Jesus' resurrection where he comes back to Peter and forgives Peter and reinstates Peter, and, and, and Peter becomes one of the leaders in the church and even wrote part of the New Testament, right? And so it looks like Peter has fallen away, and, and yet he hasn't. He's still a true believer. 
He still is trusting in Jesus, believing in Jesus, even though it may look like at, at this moment he's, he's not. Look at James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 20. We'll start in verse 19. He says, My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. So it's possible for someone who's a believer to wander in sin, right, but, but, but be brought back. Not be eternally lost, not be not 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 eternally die, but but for that person to come back. It's possible for someone to be a believer, fall into some type of sin, wander off into some type of sin, but still be a believer even in the midst of that sin, and then the Lord bring him back before before judgment. And then similarly, there's a passage in Jude, verses 21 to 23. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So it's possible for someone who's a true believer to fall into some type of sin, fall into even some type of serious sin, fall into some type of, 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 of grievous sin, of, of really, really bad sin. And, and yet not be ultimately fallen away, to be brought back to repentance, to repent from that sin, turn back to the Lord, re, re, reject that sin, be brought back and, and, and continue believing in the Lord Jesus. So, so how do we explain people that, have fought, that, that look to us like they've fallen away? Well, either they never were believers to begin with, or at least they weren't true believers, really true converted believers to begin with, or... They were converted believers to begin with, and even though it looks like they've fallen away and they're in some type of sin right now and they're no longer part of the body of, uh, of Christ actively in, in the church and those kind of things, even though it looks like maybe they've turned their back on Christ, they are still, they are still believing. And, and God will use his church to, to bring them back. The, um, maybe the obvious thing to, to us, to, to, to some of us at least, is would be the question, how do we know the difference, right? If you're thinking of somebody right now who used to be here and is not, now, not, not here now, are they someone that, has, that never was a believer to start with? Or are they someone that's fallen into some kind of sin but they're still believing? Well, the answer is we, we can't know. We don't know, right? And we can't know. So how do we treat these people? How should we treat people who look like they've fallen away? This is how we'll close tonight. How, how should we treat people who look like they've fallen away? Well, first of all, we should treat them with love. We should treat them with love. We should work to bring them back. We should work to bring these people back. I would hate to think that, um, you know, I've been here for since 2006 or so. I would hate to think that at some point I would fall away and stop attending church and, and no one would try to bring me back. Right? The first thing we do is we, we treat them with love. We, we work to bring them back. We work to bring them back. I think of someone like, uh, she's not here tonight, so I'll, so I'll mention her by name. I think of someone like Miss Alma, who I wasn't here at the time, but I think she said for something like 20, 22 years, something like that, she had left the church. And I don't, I don't know exactly what the situation was behind it, but she had left the church, and for 22 years, she said not a single person ever called her 
and asked her to come back. That's that's sad, right? I would hate for that to be, for me to be in that situation. She ended up, she did come back, obviously, and, and, and she's one of the ones who, it's not true that she never was a true believer, it's true that she was a true believer the whole time. And she had fallen into, into I, don't, I don't know exactly what the situation was, but she had stopped attending church at least. She was still following the Lord, still trusting in him uh, to some extent, had, 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 stopped follow, had stopped attending church, and, and no one had reached out to her. So the first thing we should do is, is we should treat them with love, work to bring them back. We, we read this before, but let me read it again. You don't have to turn here for the sake of time, but let me read, let me read here again. We read it the other night. But Hebrews chapter 3, one of my favorite passages talking about the church, it says, Take care, brothers, all of you, lest there be in any of you, singular, any one of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The way that God brings people back to himself, the way that God brings people out of sin, there, there are multiple ways, but one of the main ways is he uses his church to do it. He uses other believers. He uses other people to do it. I have responsibility for myself, but I have responsibility for you. You have responsibility for yourselves, but you have responsibility for me as well. I should make sure that I'm following Christ, that I'm uh, hating sin and fighting sin in my own life, but I should also be working to help you fight sin in your life and help you to follow Christ in your life. And you should be working to help me fight sin in my life and, and follow Christ in my life. So the first thing we do is we, we treat them with love, okay? This is in our church covenant, by the way, too. Um, we read this a couple, couple nights or a couple weeks ago, too, but I'll just read it. It says, we'll seek by the Holy Spirit to maintain lives of holiness through drawing near to God, resisting the devil, putting to death our sins, and living unto righteousness. And then it says, we will personally watch over the souls of our fellow church members and urge them on to holiness and purity. We will personally watch over the souls of our fellow church members. If we have a, a, a soul that, that leaves, that, that, that falls away, we should work to watch over that soul and bring them back, right? Jesus told the parable of the, of the shepherd who lost the one sheep and left the 99 to go get the one, right? When, when one of us falls away, we should treat that person with love and, and, and seek to bring them back. Secondly, number two, we should treat them with concern. We should treat them with concern. So here's the thing. When someone falls away like this, when someone um, is no longer living a, a, a life that looks like a believer, they may be a believer. They may not be a believer. We don't know, right? They may be, it, it may be that they really are a believer, but we have no assurance that they're a believer because they're not living like a, a believer. They're not acting like, like a believer at the time. And so the Bible seems to teach us that we should treat that person as an unbeliever. If we're not sure if they're a believer or not, if they've fallen into some type of sin, if they've fallen away from, seem to have fallen away from Christ, fallen away from his church, we should treat them, we should relate to them as unbelievers. Now, obviously that doesn't mean that we shun them or we're bad to them or we're mean to them because we seek to be loving and kind and um, all those kind of things to, to unbelievers, right? And so we should treat them, uh, relate to them as unbelievers. We, they, 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 they may be genuine believers, in fact, but they're not acting that way. So we... They're, they're acting and living as unbelievers, so we, so we treat them that way. We should pray for them as we pray for unbelievers. We should pray that God would convict them of their sin. We should pray that God would bring them back to himself, bring them back to 
his church. We should pray that God would give us opportunities to, to talk to them about the gospel. Pray that God would give you an opportunity to speak to them about the gospel, right? And, and that God would use us to bring them back. So we treat them with love. We treat them with concern. And then thirdly, we treat them with seriousness. Because this, this is a serious matter. We treat them with, with seriousness. And, and, and we don't do this lightly, and we don't do this quickly by, by any means, but eventually the time may come to remove them from our church membership role. If someone is denying the Lord, someone is denying what they're saying, they no longer believe what they used to believe, and they're living as if they're, they, they don't believe what they used to believe anymore, the, the time may come at some point to remove them from our church membership role. We don't do it lightly, like I said. We don't do it quickly. We take our time with that. And we do it for their good and for the good of the church. We do it for their good and for the good of the church. The last passage I'm going to ask you to turn to is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. First Corinthians chapter 5, look over at verse 12, toward the end of the chapter. Paul's talking here about some, some, uh, uh, an issue of sin that's in the church, and he's talking about what to do about that. We're going to read that passage in, in a minute, but, he, but here at the end of chapter 5, he says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. There may be a time to remove someone from our church roles because they're living like, acting like they're not a believer. Okay? And Paul says we do have responsibility to, in a sense, to judge one another. We don't judge those outside the church, but we do have responsibility to, to judge one another and hold each other accountable and hold each other to the standard of, of, of Christ. Okay? So we treat them with, with seriousness. That, that, that time might come, but if that time comes, if it comes time to remove them from the church membership role, we do that out of a desire for their salvation. We do that out of, out of a desire for their salvation, out of a desire for their repentance, for them to turn away from that life and, and, and turn back to the Lord. In this same passage, chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, Paul says this. He's talking here about a situation of sin that's in the church in Corinth. In verse 5, he says, You are to, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, and then listen to this, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. If it comes to this, we do it slowly, we, 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 do it, we don't do it lightly, it, it's heavy on us, but we do it for the sake of the person's salvation. We want to remove any false foundation underneath them, remove any, any false hope that they might have. There are many people, we've been talking about this now for some, some number of months about our own church membership role the way that it is right now. And there, there are people in our community right now who think that they're safe, who think that they're believers, who think that they're okay with God because their name is on a membership role here. Because they were baptized here 15 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, right? And they may be, hopefully, but they're not living like that because we haven't seen them here in 15 years or 30 years or 20 years or whatever it might be. And so there comes a time where if it's someone that, that, that we love, we're honest with them, we're serious with them, and we say, you know what? If you're not, if you're not following Jesus and you don't want to follow Jesus anymore, then we're going to take that seriously and, and you're no longer a member of the church if you're not living as, as if you were. So we treat them with love, we treat them with concern, we treat them with seriousness. 
So that's some, that's some pretty heavy stuff, right? Um, and, and, and it should be. Somebody that, that, that we love, someone that we uh, were with, and they're no longer here, that's a serious thing. And something that, 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 that should weigh on us as a church. It weighs on the, on the leaders of the church. It should weigh on all the church, though. It really should. But so now that kind of brings up one more question that we're not going to talk about tonight, but, but one more question. So if we can't, so if, if sometimes people fall away and they never were believers, and sometimes people fall away and they, they really still are believers, and we can't know the difference, then you might be asking, can we ever know for sure if, if I'm saved? How do I know that I'm not going to fall away at some point 15 years from now, 20 years from now, and, and it turned out that I, never, that, that I wasn't really a true believer to begin with? Or, uh, or I'm going to fall into some kind of sin and, and turn away from the Lord, turn away from the church for some time before he, before he brings it back. So the, the, the final question that, that might come up in your mind is, can we have any assurance? Can we know for sure? We can't know for sure about someone else. Can we have assurance about ourselves? Okay? And the Bible says, yes, we can. The Bible says that, that, that God wants us to have assurance of our salvation. Um, in, in, in John's letter, first letter, first John, he says he's writing the letter in part so that we would have confidence, so that we would have assurance in our salvation. Okay? And so come back next Sunday night, and Jake, uh, Pastor Jake's going to talk about that, answer that question for us next week. Okay? Thank you all so much tonight. Let's pray, and, and we'll be done. Father God, we thank you so much for, for your salvation. And God, I pray that you would help us to, to think well about ourselves, about ourselves following you, and, and, and to, make, uh, to, to make the best use of the means that you've given us, your word, prayer, your church. Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts toward those who are, are missing from us, those that we haven't seen, those that we haven't heard from, those who are no longer walking side by side with us in the gospel. Father, I pray you'd soften our hearts for them. I pray you would give us opportunities to, to interact with them, to run into them, to speak with them. God, I pray you'd give us boldness and, uh, and, and compassion toward them that we, would, that we would speak to them about their soul, about their destiny. And God, I pray you'd help us to be a more loving church toward, toward each other and toward those who are no longer here. Father, help us be more compassionate. And Father, help us to, to, to do well by them. God, we thank you so much for Jesus, our Savior, and the foundation of our salvation, trusting in him alone. It's his, in his name we pray, amen.